Before we continue with the word, just want to encourage you to once again do contribute uh, generously to the work of the BB. And uh, just to update you, uh, we actually just had a first run of our Alpha, the Youth Alpha, it's actually the BB Alpha, and uh, we just completed it just yesterday. And the good news is that uh, we had about nine of the boys who indicated they are interested to know more about the faith. And one of the BB boy did mention that he would want to join 516. So he'll be coming, um, I think, next week onwards. So just want to encourage us that indeed, if you, you know, just contribute to this work that we're doing in, we are the 14 Koi. And uh, yeah, as you contribute, may the word of the Lord continue to reach out to the boys and that they come to know more about the saving love of Christ. So do contribute generously at the end of the service. And so with that, can I invite you now to stand? as we have the Gospel reading. The Gospel reading for this morning can be found in the fourth chapter according to the Gospel of St. Luke, beginning at the 42nd verse. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, reading from verses 42 to verse 44. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place, and there he prayed. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogue. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we just bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? And so, gracious and heavenly Father, we give you thanks for once again for your word that is so freely available for us. And now, this morning, as we tackle this rather important topic for us as Christians, we want to come before you, Lord, that you will prepare our hearts. We pray, Lord, that what is being shared this evening will be your word, that what we share this evening will just go forth from my mouth and that it will not return back empty, that it will accomplish that which is purpose. So, Father, may your words speak to us, challenge us, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to be receptive to what you have to speak. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into our midst as we commit to you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? You know, before we begin our time together, let's do a quick recap into the life of David thus far. He was first mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 16 as the youngest son of Jesse, who the prophet Samuel anointed at God's instruction to be the next king of Israel. The current leader of the Israelites, King Saul, though he started off well, was now not considered fit by God to rule the nation. The turning point came when he totally disobeyed God's command to completely annihilate the Amalekites. And instead, we are told in 1 Samuel 15, that Saul spared King Agat as well as keeping the best of the flock. And because of this grave action, the Lord rejected Saul as his king and seek out another man, a man after his own heart, 
to be the new commander of the land. And that man, of course, we know is none other than David. And so as we move on to chapter 17, we see now that Israel had long been engaging with a war over her neighbor, the Philistine. And they were now facing each other as the battle line was being drawn. On the enemy side stood the giant Goliath, standing at a massive nine feet tall. And he was taunting any Israelites to come to challenge him. But naturally, no one dared to come forth. But up stepped David, who against all odds defeated the Philistine champion and gave them a crushing defeat. And now presented to Saul after the victory, David was introduced to Jonathan, Saul's son. And immediately, these two, they form a close and tight relationship, becoming the best of friends. Subsequently, we are told that David came into the service of the court to play his harp just to soothe Saul whenever he was tormented by a spirit sent by God. And in addition, we also discovered that David was very successful in the many missions that were assigned to him, so much so that the woman of the town began to praise and honor David more than the king. Needless to say, this furiously upset Saul, and it caused him to be extremely jealous. Fearing now that his kingdom would be taken away from him, Saul plotted to remove David. But each time, David prevailed. Why? Because we are told that the Lord was always with him. But it finally came to the point that David had to flee from his own land and into the wilderness just to escape the clutches of Saul. And this, as we will come to see, led to a series of cat and mouse game between these two men. But you know that it is in this wilderness period that we begin to discover something about David. We discovered that David was now relying more on his own abilities rather than on God. And this led to serious consequences in his life. And if you recall, for example, in 1 Samuel 21 and chapter 22, he resorted here to a series of lies resulting in the high priest Ahimelech and his entire priesthood in Nob, except for one person, to be executed by Saul for assisting David. And then in chapter 24, as seen last week, David almost wiped out the entire household of Nabal, all because he was hungry and he was not fed. And note that in all of these episodes, while David was on the run, his spirituality dropped. His spiritual level wasn't the same as it was in the beginning. In fact, interestingly enough, you find that it's in this incident at Cali in 1 Samuel chapter 23, that this is the only time in this wilderness period, this is the only time that we hear of him praying and seeking direction from the Lord. And today, in our two chapters for this, this evening, we experience David yet again. And this time, based on his own self-interest, he began to drift further and further away from God. And friends, let me just say that this should act 
as a warning for each and every one of us to heed. Because if you're not careful, the same thing can happen to us as it happened to David. We can also fall away and drift away from the presence of God. And so to bring us into context, let's begin then by reading the text found in 1 Samuel chapter 27. So if you have your Bibles once again, let's refer to this text in 1 Samuel 27. Now read from verse 1. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Malk, king of God. And David lived with Achish at God, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. Verse 4, And when it was told Saul that David had fled to God, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I found favour in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziglag. Therefore Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Verse 8, Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Gushurites, the Gersites, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as Shu to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jerahimelites, or against the Negev of the Canaanites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to God, thinking, least they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. Verse 12, And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. <clears throat> Verse 1 of this text, of this chapter, begins with these very words from David. Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hands. Now I want you to pause for a moment and ask yourself, what was the reason for David's decision to do what he did? Why the plan to head to the land 
of the Philistine. Why don't stay where he was? You see, to get the answer, it's important for us to understand the situation that David was going through. You see, David had been a fugitive for many, many years. To be exact, he had been there running away from Saul for seven long years. Yes, he had every reason to, be, to remain where he was, continuing to trust in God for his provision and protection thus far because God had been doing that. After all, would God abandon his next anointed king of Israel? But bear this in mind. The daily living in the wilderness exile was taking a serious toll on David. And it depressed him a great deal. You know, very much like if you have a stay-home notice. Stay-home notice lasts seven days. We cannot tahan. David was in the wilderness for seven years. We can, I think, understand his frustration. Besides, he had to look after his band of 600 men, and they were discontented. Not to mention the additional caring for his two wives. And all these was draining him. Besides all of this, the constant pursuit from Saul was wearing him down, and all the efforts that he tried to make to reconcile with Saul just proved to be futile. David had no desire to lead an opposition party, a resistant movement, nor a group of rebels. Hence, we can sympathize with him and find that you know, the situation really left him with no alternative. But friends, Here's the thing. As we are fully aware, the Philistines were public enemy number one as far as the Israelites were concerned. So this plan of David to defect and move over and offering himself and his men to Akish, the king of God, was truly baffling. Sure, he was driven by desperation out of frustration that he was experiencing. Things were not going the way that he wanted. There was no, absolutely no opportunity for him to use his ability to serve his, his country as the anointed king. But, as I said, here's the thing. Out of his sure disappointment, David's decision to move where he was and into the enemy's territory was made without the consultation from God. He did it out of his own decision. How do we know? Because the passage tells us that there was no indication. The passage tells us that nowhere did David pray or seek the Lord's direction. In other words, he did what he did out of self-interest. And that's a lesson that we can learn in this example of David when we do things out of self-interest. You see, the moment when we begin to ask ourselves, what is it for me? What benefit do I have? Instead of seeking out what God wants, the moment we do that, we will automatically be out of line with God's will. And worse, we'll begin to fall away from His presence. And you find that this was exactly what was happening to David. Once he made self-interest the rule of thumb, that he was going to follow, you'll find in the passage here 
a number of areas in his life begin to deteriorate. In fact, there's three things. For a start, you find that truth became the first casualty. Look with me again to the passage in chapter 27. We are told that initially in verse 5, David and his men, they were stationed in the royal city. Why? Under, because they will come under the watchful eye of the king, Akish. But David and his men, being accustomed to that free life of adventure, you know, they probably, str they probably struggle under this restriction. And again, it is probably how we will struggle, you know, when the government announced a lockdown measures and restricted movement in our nation. And so to deal with the situation, what did David do? He made a convincing argument to the king that it was, you know, too much of an inconvenience, you know. And so he managed to persuade King Akish to move them into a smaller town. But in doing so, David made the first lie. This was his first lie. And once they escaped the supervision of Akish, we find that David now went above his other activity. And what was it? He sent his men out on raids on the southern tribes of Geshurites to the Gershites and Amalekites who were longtime enemies of Israel. Well, in truth, you can say David was wiping out the inhabitants that the Joshua generation failed to exterminate when Israel was possessing Canaan. In these raids, his men acquired a considerable number of booty, of livestock and necessities, and this was important for David and his men. But you see, all the while, Akish had assumed that David and his men were looting cities and towns, and, and, and cities and towns in Judah, when in fact, David and his men was destroying the allies of Akish. And each time the king inquired about David's mission, David would put on a straight face. He would be a very good actor, you know, and then he would lie of his affair and keep the king in the dark. This was David's second lie. And as you can see, a familiar pattern is beginning to emerge. A pattern that we discovered in chapter 21. Apparently, this habitual sin of lying of David was returning. Why? All because David failed to seek the Lord's direction and he acted in the self-interest. Secondly, we find that the respect for life was ignored by David. Respect for innocent life was ignored. You see, in order to deal, to conceal his secret deeds, those whom David and his men raided on, they were considered as collateral damage. We read in verse 11 that David instructed his men to put everyone, men, women, and children, to the sword. No one was to be alive. No one was to tell the tale and so expose David's lies. Now, no doubt David, you know, he probably can rationalize his action and say, and say to himself, you know, I'm fighting Israel's enemy, you know. I'm merely providing for my man's basic need. So I think this is okay. I can, I can kill off these people. But the point not to be missed is this. You see, once you are controlled by self-interest and not by the interest of God, any reason stated would seem to justify and support the decision and the actions. 
We now turn to chapter 29. And due to time, we will not read the passage, but I will summarize this. And in summarizing this chapter, we see that David, here in chapter 29, he clearly lowered the value that he set regarding personal relationship. We found how he was close to King Akish. He professed allegiance to him. But now we find in chapter 29, he began to trick him. And totally deceive. This Philistine king made, foolishly made David his permanent bodyguard. And then when the other commanders challenged him of this trust before going into battle against the Israelites, listen to how Achish defended David. In verse 29, in chapter 29, verse 3, this was what Achish told the Philistine commanders. He says this, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have no fault in him to this day. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what you're thinking when you hear these words. To me, it's quite shocking that the next king of Israel seems to be now in cahoot with the enemy. And worse, he was fighting against, of all people, his own people, the Israelites. And this just goes to show how far David had detoured from the one who is after God's own heart. But perhaps the saddest part of David's self-interest was how far he drifted away from his relationship with the Lord. In our modern day, we term this as backslidden. And this can occur in many, many ways. Basically, backslidden is when we fail to put God first in our lives and we begin to focus on our own interests. God's things somehow now not become important to us. We begin to do other things. And in the case of David, the warning signs were clearly there. Firstly, as pointed out, there's an impression that God was somehow receding in the background, that God was not part of his life anymore. Why? Because there was no mention of the Lord or any record of David praying or seeking the Lord. And interestingly enough, all through this season of David's life, the only mention of God in this chapter, rather, came out of the mouth of this heathen king when he naively stood by David's honesty. Listen to what King Akish said in verse 6. He says, as the Lord lives, capital L, as the Lord lives, recognizing that David was serving this God. You have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and with me in a campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. So out of the, out of the mouth of a heathen king, we only hear the word God. David didn't even mention the name of the Lord. Another worthwhile point to note is that during this lean period, scholars have tell us that David wrote no psalms. He seemed to have hung up his harp. He seems to have lost his desire in worshipping the God. And in our current context, it is probably like he didn't desire to want to come to church anymore. David's self-interest led him to lying, 
to killing, and worst of all, led him to be drifted away from his God. And as we follow up on the remaining section of chapter 29, it appears now that David was now disowned by both sides. His people didn't want him. The Philistines didn't want him. He was now in a spiritual desert with nowhere to go. He had played out his own deception, and they recoiled back on his head and shamed his benefactor. He was now at an all-time low simply because of his self-interest. And at this point, we can say, you know, there's really little to choose between David and Saul. Who will be the better king of Israel? It's hard to decide. Neither would seem to provide hope for the nation, as both of these men have distanced themselves from God. But that's good news. The good news is that God is not done with David. And God is not done with any of us if we are in the same situation if we have gone into the period of backsliding. Because as we will see next week, David will recover and eventually he will rise up from the ashes. But before ending though, we must seriously consider this for ourselves. Like David, are we guilty in any way of having a self interest attitude that can cause us to drift away from the Lord. And this can come in various subtle forms. When it concerns our well-being, when it concerns my family, my children, my career, and when we put all of these things first instead of God, you find that the result is that we will end up neglecting to read our Bible daily. We'll forget to pray to God regularly. We may even decide not to attend church on a weekly basis because my family, my children, my career comes first. And some may altogether decide not to serve in the ministry. You know, I'm afraid that the recent COVID restrictions over the past two years have caused us as a church in general throughout to drift away from God. I'm now pastorally and lovingly addressing those who choose to be online rather than to come back for physical service. I'm not picking on anyone, but as your pastor, I have to address this to all of us. What's your justification for not wanting to come back to the house of the Lord to worship Him. <laughs> you may have your reasons or health issues which may be valid. That's good. But for the rest of us, can we claim that it is better to worship online for the argument that we cannot be physically present here to sing? Really? Worship God online? I don't know about you, but if you're honest enough with me, you agree that it is extremely difficult worshipping God, let alone singing and raising our hands in the comfort of our home where there are so many distractions. And this reminds me 
This reminds me of what Jesus has to say something about this. It is found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. This is what Jesus says. That the people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And worshipping online can be like that, isn't it? We may want to worship God with our lips, but because all the distraction at home, our hearts are far away from Him. And you know, if, this, if we choose to make this our norm, perhaps God will respond to us in this way in the next slide. choose to worship him online God when we go to heaven will tell you you visit heaven online well we may chuckle at this but nevertheless it is something serious for us to ponder isn't it it is strange that people don't complain about going out shopping going for a movie even going for a three-day or one-week holiday being in the midst of many crowds but then when we are commanded to observe the Sabbath and come to worship God for less than two hours, we don't do so. And then others perhaps cite, and I've heard this from many churches, they cite inconvenience. Why can't physically? Can worship online? So easy. Seriously? We use this as an excuse for not wanting to attend service physically? Let me ask you this question. <clears throat> Did Jesus say that it was inconvenience for him to hang on the cross for six hours for sins? And perhaps for some of us, the inconvenience may be because, oh yeah, no transport, MRT is so far away. Coming out to all sins, have to walk up that hill. But guys, hold on a second. Don't you know that Christians in undeveloped countries, they walk for days to and fro just to joyfully come into the presence of God? And if we state journey, difficulty because there's no transport, let me, let me further ask you this question. If you have no transport, do you therefore say that it's valid that I don't go to work? We don't. So why is it that we use all these excuses and not come back to the house of God? This, as I mentioned, is a very important topic for all of us today. The reality is that most of us will go through this wilderness period at some point in our life. And as Pastor Mabel will point out next week, David will recover from his failures and so will we, if we are willing to change. And if it's any consolation, I want you to know that I myself went through this wilderness period when I was a teenager. But by the grace of God, I came out of it. David's example in today's sermon reveals that it is it is so very easy for us to drift away from God the moment we place our self-interest as our priorities. My prayer is that all of us in all things, that we will not be lax, that we will not fall into this trap of the devil. 
And today, if you are experiencing this, in this season of Lent, let me challenge each and every one of us here in the sanctuary and for those of us online. Let's get our act together and start taking our Christian walk seriously. And today, indeed, if we are guilty, I don't know who you are, God knows, would you make a renewal, start a fresh day to come back to the Lord? And so as we close, before we sing the response song, I want us, I feel that in this season of Lent, it's appropriate that we recite together the collect that is found in Lent too. And as we, but before we do that, all right, I, I, I just sense in my spirit that we need to just get ourselves right. For those of us here, for those of us in online, if you are struggling in this area, you know, you don't intend to do this, but somehow the situation has caused you to lax, like David did. But know that David will come out of it because he chose to make the decision to come out of it. So for those of us here, whether online or physically here in the service, I just want us to pause for a minute or so and the Spirit minister and speak to us. You make the challenge today. You make the commitment to say that, yes, Lord, that, yes, Lord, I will desire to obey your command, to obey the Sabbath in coming to worship you. And then let's together recite Lent 2, the collect for Lent 2, and then Ming Kui will lead us in the response song. Church, if you are ready, let us prayerfully, sincerely from our hearts, and together, let's recite the collect for Lent. Lord God Almighty, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow you only God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 